0: To another episode of the breakdown anybody who's been paying attention to the show knows it's a it's a little bit of a, a dynamic time in alberta politics there's some there's some excitement going on to try to do a little bit of a temperature check maybe make some sense of a few things that otherwise are uh, bewildering, we're enlisting the help of a powerfully prescient prognosticator of provincial politics, and you better bet that I wrote that down so I wouldn't get it wrong. We are extremely excited to be joined by political scientist, UFC professor, Dr. Lisa Young. Dr. Young, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Happy to be here.
0: <laughs> so before we get into the, the why is everything on fire, um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what your background is
1: sure okay so i've been at university of calgary for 25 years now um i I came in uh, 1997 and so i've spent you know most of my academic career uh here in uh alberta um, I'm originally from Winnipeg, I've spent time in Ontario, a little bit of time in BC, so, you know, uh, um, but Alberta is is home now, after all this time, and uh, for the last few years, I've been increasingly focused on Alberta politics, because it's endlessly fascinating.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a very diplomatic way of, of, of saying things. Um, I want to start off with... Uh, you know, a nice easy question that, that, that I'm I'm sure won't cause any problems at all. Who would you say the most boring premier in living memory of Alberta was? Oh.
1: That's a great question. The most boring premier in living memory. I'm gonna go with Ed Stelmack.
0: Okay, like, Steady
1: Eddie. Steady Eddie. And and you know, Ed Stelmack could talk and you know, you just feel calm because it wasn't a lively presentation. I can't really remember very much that Ed Stelmack did when he was uh, premier. It, nothing sticks out. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going with uh, Steady Ed Stelmack. Okay,
0: and there's I'm sure there's a lot of people that would argue that when you don't aren't able to think of of deeply controversial things that happened under somebody's tenure tenure as uh, premier, that's Overall, probably a good sign. You have to know what the next question is going to be. Um, the 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 least boring premier of living memory.
1: Now you see that one is is in some ways harder because there are so many contenders. <laughs> I mean, Ralph Klein in his day was. Absolutely lively in, in his own way, um, although really by by current standards, I'm not sure he could compete. Um, Danielle Smith has packed a lot into six weeks or however long it's been, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to pass judgment on her yet. Um, the liveliest. You know, I'm going to have to go with Alison Redford. Um, she. She, she packed a lot of political controversy into her time in office most of it you know in her own caucus but that is really that that is so essential to Alberta politics right um the the task of being premier at, at least for conservative premiers is um to keep your caucus together and uh Allison Redford failed at that in a spectacular sort of way. And so uh, I think, you know, per days in office, uh, she was maybe the liveliest we've had. Although I think Danielle Smith is going to give her a run for her money.
0: <laughs> OK, well, there we go. And, and this sort of leads to the, the broader theme of the conversation I was hoping to have with you today, which is there's it seems like, you know, we go back to 2019. And we saw a change of government and everybody was like, oh, a change of government. And I don't think anybody, I certainly wasn't prepared. I don't have your flowchart skills, but I certainly wasn't prepared for... Just how dynamic Alberta politics was was gonna get. Like I remember the Bill One, the, the Essential Infrastructure Act coming in, and everybody was like, oh wow, that's that's really bad. That's a that's a huge government overreach. And you, you look at where we are now, and it's kind of tame by comparison. Uh, so there's a lot of people who are looking at Alberta politics and going, My God, how how did it get to be so bad? So my first question is. Is it so bad?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, <sighs> I'm going to give you two answers that, that sort of contradict each other. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you the pessimistic answer and then I'm going to give you the optimistic answer. So so the pessimistic answer is that, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. We have lived through three and a half, almost four years now, of government that has been focused on on politics, on driving an ideological agenda, and then increasingly on managing sort of internal dissension in caucus. And, and there has really been a, a feeling, and I think a, a justifiable feeling, that through much of this the government wasn't governing for all albertans it was governing for some albertans and that's bad you know in a democracy what we really want is to have uh you know an election where ideas clash one side wins and and we accept that that side has won but that side then tries to govern in the best interests of the whole province and we might not agree with everything that they do but there isn't a sense of government vilifying its opposition and, and the people that didn't support it. And, and, you know, here I'm thinking back, especially to, you know, the first year, year and a half of the Kenny government, where they they talked about people in the public sector as being kind of burdens on society, not contributing, not being productive. And I think that that was really a, a, a damaging message. And it's, it's contributed to the polarization that we feel. And, you know, there are times when I, I tuned in for a little bit of the first question period when the ledge came back uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I had to just turn away because just the, the you know, the, the, the tenor of the conversation, you know, was just so off-putting that you think, gosh, you know, in the face of this, we are not well-governed. And of course, the stakes have been so high through the pandemic, right? We've been poorly governed at a time when you know, it was literally a life and death situation, right? So, so yeah, things are bad but here's my optimistic message alberta is a functioning democracy and that is a good thing and you know i w- when we started out i said i've lived here for 25 years and i'm not sure that i would have said uh, in the first i don't know 10 15 years that alberta was absolutely a functioning democracy you know we had elections they were free and fair but we knew what the outcome was going to be there wasn't a strong opposition there was no sense that it was possible for parties to rotate in and out of office the way that you want to see in a functioning democracy and so there are all kinds of pathologies that you know crept down into civil society because we didn't have that that transition of of power from one party to another party. So having the, the NDP win in 2015, and then having a credible, functional opposition party from 2019 on, has really put us back in a place where Governments can't be complacent, they can't assume that they'll win, they can't believe that they're entitled to govern because they know an election's coming and the outcome isn't a sure thing. Now, right now, that election feels like it is gonna be in in some ways an awful sort of clash of of not just ideas, but people who really dislike and distrust one another. And it's gonna be hard to watch in some ways, but it's democracy functioning. And I think it has, you know, this this is putting Alberta onto a pass, path to be a, a functioning two-party system where we've got two credible potential governing parties that take turns. And, and you know, as a political scientist, I say two thumbs up for that.
0: <laughs> okay, I want to explore that idea of, 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 of a functioning democracy a little bit because, you know, one of the things that strikes me is there's always that idea of the consent of the governed, uh, where in an election the the losing side has to say, um, OK, you got us, you're in charge now. And it seems like we've almost seen a bit of an erosion of that, particularly over the last couple of years. There's no question in my mind that the pandemic contributed to that immensely. But we've, you know, we're one of, I think, two provinces that recently had borderline insurrections, double pun intended, by the way. Um, (laughs) um, And, you know, there's there's it's it seems to me and this is where I'm hoping you're going to make me feel better that part of the. The, the function of a, a, a functioning democracy or a functioning government is probably a better way to say it, is you have to have that consent of the, the governed, and it is reliant on some level of satisfaction from the, the electorate or the voters. And it seems like with the increasing polarization that we're seeing, that level of satisfaction is decreasing, he said cautiously. Uh, am I, and if that's the case that seems to have some some fairly uh dark potential outcomes given that we already had like murders planned at the border and stuff um am, am i am i wrong it's it's gonna get better right not worse right
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um <laughs> you can quote me on that so uh I think there's a couple of things here. There's there's a a concept. uh, My colleague uh, Melanie Thomas talks about this a lot, and and you know she's got great wisdom around this. And it's an idea. It's sort of the idea of consent of the governed, but losers' consent, right? That when your side loses, you you accept the loss and you accept the legitimacy of the government that's in place, right? And one of the things that we saw after the 2015 election when the ADP was, was elected was that there was not losers' consent across the province um, in, entirely. There were, you know, I think we all sort of made fun of some guy who, you know, who who misspelled coup d'etat but was calling for a, a, a misspelled coup d'etat. But that was an idea that had currency in a segment of the population, right? That Alberta was, you know, a a place that could not be governed by New Democrats, that that was outside the bounds of what was acceptable or legitimate, right? And, you know, it came from, I think, the far right, it's fair to say. And I don't know this for a fact, but I I think we can draw some lines between that idea and the idea that when you're angry at government, even a UCP government, you you go to the border and you shut down uh, traffic or you take your truck to Ottawa and honk your horns all night long. Right. Um, and, and again, what we saw from the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa was a, 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 no losers consent at the federal level, Um and so that's a, a real worry. And one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit, maybe in your questions. But one of the things that has me worried about the emphasis that the Smith government is putting on the the sovereignty act and the question of Alberta's place in Confederation is that it taps into that absence of losers' consent at the federal level. Alberta, you know, not all of Alberta, there's a segment of the Alberta population that doesn't accept the legitimacy of the Trudeau government federally, right? That they they don't think that that's how Canada should be governed. So um, without their, you know, if it's not the government that they pick, then it's not legitimate. So this is tapping into some pretty dangerous ideas now we know it's not widespread um you know it but but it's also not just a tiny fringe that you can dismiss um you know polling data tells us that 20 percent of Albertans think that we would be better off if we separated from from Canada and I mean that's not necessarily all built into that but it, it does sort of suggest that there's one in 10, two in 10 Albertans that really do see politics in this particular way. And they only consider government acceptable, if it's government that looks like what they think is appropriate, right. And, and that means that it has to be conservative, it has to be a particular kind of conservative, you know, that sort of um, populist, the basis and and there is a sense in all of this that the the rest of us who live in the province aren't legitimate right that we're not the real Albertans and there's a notion of who the real Albertans are and a sense that they really ought to be allowed to call the shots and that's not healthy in a democracy
0: lots to unpack there um so i, I i'm going to i'm going to try to I'm gonna to try to come from a, a little bit of a different different angle. Um, you talked about the 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 Smith feeding into things, and there's no question, I think. Uh, although there's probably some people who would say that there is what where Smith stands on on things and stuff, but there there doesn't seem to be any question that she doesn't have any concerns with leaning into and in many ways amplifying the. Ideas that are demonstrably false, or that are that are demonstrably inaccurate, and I'm I'm curious if you have any concerns. You know, one of the one of the views that a lot of people have of leadership is that it should, most of the time, be a, a moderating voice. It shouldn't be necessarily an inflammatory voice. But it seems that. More often than not, I'm trying really hard to think of an example where Smith has been moderating and I'm not coming up with anything. Um, More often than not, Smith leans into what's the most uh, outrageous thing that I can say. Does that have, like, are you concerned at all about the long term impact of that? Because if, 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 it seems like in society, when we have these more radical views that get espoused, it's really, really quick to start that fire. But it takes a long time to put the fire out and then grow the grass back and get the, the, the animals to come back and all of that. Are you concerned about that? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we've seen
1: what's happened south of the border and it's a cautionary tale. Um, there certainly was organized racism in the United States before Donald Trump was elected president, but he unleashed it as a, a political force. He made it legitimate to express these views that had, uh, until that point, been seen as you know shameful or or something that you you kept in in secret or on the dark web. Um and you know the next thing we know we've got you know a bunch of uh young men with tiki torches uh out protesting right and we've seen the um the, the violence that has come out of this and we've seen it in Canada as well you know we we know that there are people who've tapped into this and you know the the um shooter in a mosque in Quebec City and and you know other instances like that so it matters, you know. If we didn't know that before, we know now that it matters what people in positions of authority say. They define what's considered legitimate um, within the discourse, and you know, certainly, I think what we've seen in Alberta over the last, I don't know, three months, four months, is that a, a set of positions uh, about Alberta's place in Confederation have gone from being seen as, you know, sort of the, the fringe and and largely to be dismissed and damaging to being almost mainstream legitimate positions. And, and I think that it's not just Danielle Smith who's done that. She's been carrying this water for a while, but the the leadership contestants for the UCP who thought that these ideas were damaging enough that they held a press conference in the middle of a leadership campaign, now are in a cabinet that has enacted this legislation. And, you know, and and then we see other cabinet ministers putting together videos that tell a sort of a selective history of Alberta that are all trying to feed this sense of grievance and alienation. And, you know, once you... you let this stuff out of the box it doesn't just go back when you want it to right it's it's out so i mean
0: you you talked about sort of the 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 letting of the stuff out of the box as you know you used the the united states as an example and i think that there's some very interesting parallels between Uh, Daniel Smith and Donald Trump not only in regards to their inflammatory style but even the way that they use their rhetoric one of Donald Trump's strengths was that he would say both sides of an issue just in slightly different ways and so people could pick and choose well you know they said that Donald Trump's a racist but there's this picture of him kissing this black baby so he's clearly not racist because a racist wouldn't do that so everything's okay you lefties don't know what you're talking about woke crazy people he was very very good at, at staking positions on both sides and i think we're seeing some of the same things from smith where depending on the day i mean she had her address to the the province where she said hey you know what i've made mistakes everybody does we're moving past it and then just a couple of days later a reporter asked her hey can you give us an example of one of those mistakes and she basically bit his head off um so if if we look at feeding into that polarization is a cautionary tale why do you think it is that rather than interpreting those historic events and many other ones i might add as cautionary tales there's a lot of people who seem to be using it as an as an instruction manual
1: well lots of people go into politics to win right and it it's a team sport and and i think at a certain point Winning becomes more important um, for, for some people than what it is they're winning for. And it it's a slippery slope, right? You, you know, I imagine that there are people who joined the Smith cabinet who knew better, um, but they told themselves, well, I'll be a moderating force. And, you know, maybe to some extent they are a moderating force, but they're also joining her on the the voyage down the slippery slope. And at a certain point, you know, you spend enough time talking to people, you start seeing the world in slightly different ways. Um, and, And, you know, I think if... Fundamentally, if we pushed lots of the members of the UCP caucus about why they're going along with with her leadership, why they are voting for her legislation that they opposed, you know, mere months ago, they, they would, you know, the honest answer would be because the election is five months away, we can't afford to have another go at picking a leader, and this is better than letting the NDP win and that might be for their own personal reasons right they want to keep their job as an MLA but it might also be because they you know really do believe that the ideas that the NDP stands for are that much more damaging than what what Smith stands for Um, and you know I, I think they know better but again it's a team sport and, and, you know, people get caught up in their sense of belonging on their side of the aisle and, and the, the, the sort of, you know, the, the making of the opposition into enemies. And that doesn't have to be the case, right? We, we can see lots of examples where there's, um you know real disagreement um between politicians from opposing parties but a, a an underlying mutual respect and i worry that we've lost that right now in alberta
0: yeah that was you 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 led into my next question beautifully there because it, it, it we've certainly seen examples of that from both parties and and there's a lot of people who don't like when that's pointed out because it is very much a team sport. And if you speak disparagingly about anyone's team, then boy, do they let you know fast. Um, But, you know, you say it doesn't have to be the case. What do political parties do you think need to do in order to be able to not fall down that rabbit hole of, but the team must win at all costs, get the chainsaws, let's go to work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that they have to, remind themselves right um and one of the dilemmas here is that we if we look at the the um composition of of the alberta legislature right now there's not a lot of political experience there on either side of the aisle right there's not people who've been in politics for a long time now rachel notley absolutely has and you know joe cc and a few others and on the ucp side um know it's 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 a remarkably new crew but even you know daniel smith has been around politics for a long time but i do think that um if we had you know some roots people who could go back to uh, uh, their their memories of a different age where there was that sort of respect across the aisle and and just some basic norms um That 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 would be a a helpful thing, it would be a good reminder. And then, you know, for some of them on both sides of the aisle to actually make an attempt to reach out. And I, you know, something I, I told you earlier on that I, I got so discouraged the first day, you know, I watched Question Period, and I, I just had to turn it off. And then I saw something on Twitter that night that actually was, you know, just what I needed to see. And it was Janice Irwin, um, who had gone to see the speaker, and uh, you know, was was posing with Hansard the cat, and it, it was just that little bit of humanity that has to exist within the legislature, across the aisle, where people can see each other as human beings, but then still, you know, manage to compete against each other on teams. And I think, you know, the reason we're struggling, one of the reasons we're struggling with it right now is that, you know, it is an era of political polarization, and we are In some ways, still learning how to be a two party democracy in Alberta. You know, this is relatively new to us. It was easy to be friendly to the NDP if you didn't think there was any danger that they were going to govern, right, for the UCP. Now it's a different thing, right? They, you know, through the last four years, they look at the opinion polls, they look at Rachel Notley, and they, you know, look, we've got a problem here. Um, So, you know, I I think the day could potentially come, but it's going to take some real effort.
0: Okay. I'm curious, like, you use the, the the team metaphor, the sports metaphor. I'm going to take it a little bit farther and, and, and run with it. Even at high-level professional sports, where the stakes are very high, where things are extremely competitive, people punch each other in the face on a regular basis. I'm going to go with a hockey metaphor here. Um, at the end of those games, both teams line up, and they do the, the good game fist bump, whatever the case may be. Why do you think – I mean – it would seem to me a good opportunity for that sort of spirit would have been at the, the portrait unveiling of, of Rachel Notley. And instead what we saw was some, I would argue, ugly pol- politicking uh, and utilization of, of uh, marginalized groups to, to justify being not a good sport, let's say. W- what's it going to take, do you think, to get that, the, a little bit of that end of game good game thing going on
1: yeah I, I was thinking of that example as well um you know as i was talking so I, I endorse your example um you know i i don't know that we can make them uh shake hands at the end of question period although that might not be a bad thing <laughs> you know
0: i think we should make there. them i think we should line <laughs> them up on either side everybody shakes everybody's hands
1: <laughs> works for minor hockey why wouldn't it work in the legislature right we can make kids do it exactly (laughs) but again you know I, i do hope that as you know whatever happens in the 2023 election i i really do hope that both parties can see their way forward to wanting to do politics a little bit differently and that they can make some efforts to normalize Political competition and you know the their ability to have a lively debate and and still treat each other like humans and you know is it going to happen after the next election? So hard to say, right? Um, there are so many things that are question marks, but you know I really do hope that I'm going to take a little side journey here, but um, I, I think one of one of the the reasons that it's really good that Alberta is part of Canada is that it, it it means that the the Canadian political traditions are also Alberta political traditions. We send our politicians to Ottawa to sit in the House of Commons where there is a, a more well-established, tradition of multi-party cooperation from time to time, some respect across the aisle. And I really do think that, you know, being part of that political tradition saves us from some of what might otherwise happen in Alberta. Certainly, you know, it, it, it's kept democracy alive during a, a period when we've had only one party uh, winning elections. And, you know, I, I, maybe there can be some transfer from the federal level of of some of the the norms of political competition that
0: we would hope to see i just can i try paraphrasing what you just said maybe there's some good things that canada has a a national government and and we can learn from them
1: yeah yeah (laughs) and you know i know that this isn't gonna uh, like endear me to to a lot of albertans but Pierre Trudeau, the first uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, before he was in politics, he... He was basically a a political writer, and he wrote about how important it was for Quebec to be part of Canada, because Quebec could learn things and could be a functional democracy, which it wasn't under Duplessis. Um, It could be a functional democracy by learning from Canada, that, that Canada had something to offer Quebec that way. And I think about that argument Often in the context of Alberta, I think it it holds for us as well
0: I got a couple other things. I want to I want to pick your brain on if that's okay Um, Why is Danielle Smith so always wrong about indigenous people and First Nations people because it's getting to be a little bit embarrassing Uh, the display that we saw this week in the the legislature where she equated the the oppression of uh alberta under ottawa to what first nations indigenous people have had to deal with under the indian act was it felt like a new low um i i i'm I'm thrilled to see that there's an organized effort right now to to send all ucp mla's copies of the book 21 things you don't know about the indian act because clearly there's some Uh, there's some things to be learned there, but, but it's not the first time that we've seen Danielle Smith, I would say use, uh, when expedient for her indigenous and first nations issues at a time when it feels like a lot of the country is trying to say, Oh, we have some, some healing, perhaps some reconciliation that we need to do.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I vehemently agree with everything you just said. Um, so.
0: Like, does she get, she's being harmful?
1: No, I I don't think she does. Um, That's terrifying. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I guess the first thing I would say is that she's demonstrated on a number of occasions a remarkable absence of perspective on on questions of oppression right so what she said in the legislature this week um is is a a a prime example of that um what she said the you know, the first day she was sworn in, um, when when she said that, you know, the unvaccinated were subject to worse discrimination than anyone else. Again, it's just, you know, it's sort of jaw-dropping lack of perspective on the experiences, in particular, of Indigenous people in, in Canada, right? And it's just, you know, no matter what your politics, I think, you know, you, you don't need to read Canadian history particularly deeply to know that this just isn't true, right? So so, so that's the first thing. The, the second, and I think related thing, is that it's grounded in a sense of victimhood, right? I mean, the common thread between those two statements was that... Um, her people, whether it's Albertans within Ottawa, or, you know, the the vaccine hesitant within mainstream society, uh, have been treated terribly. And I think that she feels that her experience of oppression and victimhood, by virtue of being Albertan in Canada and by virtue of being vaccine hesitant in the age of covid means that she understands the, the oppression of other groups and she doesn't right because these are not real moments of of oppression and i think that you know what she has done and this is this is a common thing that we're seeing um uh, on on the right in, in Western Canada has been to take a very instrumental approach to Indigenous relations. You know, she's got uh, an advisor, you know, who's supposed to be in, informing her on Indigenous relations. But I think that the, the, the purpose of engagement with Indigenous people in, in this view is to find a way forward for resource development. Right, it's 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 to get from here to a, a goal, and and so you know indigenous people are potentially a, a you know a a barrier to that resource development, and and so you know her, we'll, we'll we'll make friends of them, and and then we can have our nice things, and I, I you know I'm, I'm certainly not going to speak for Indigenous people, but I'm I'm not sure that that approach is, is necessarily going to be seen as being particularly authentic by most of the community. Um, but again, I, I, you know, I certainly, I'm a, I'm a settler that's, that's it. Um, but it also, all of this ignores the, the, the history of, white supremacy and western alienation right um you know has has the west been treated badly by ottawa over the years yeah absolutely you can point to that has the west also engaged in a project of oppression and and marginalization of indigenous people including in pursuit of developing those natural resources you bet and and they're isn't much evidence here of an honest attempt to come to terms with any of that.
0: Yeah, it seems, I mean, I just can't help but think, and again, I'm, I'm as, as, as middle-aged white guy as they get, but I can't imagine that the message of, hey, that's some really nice stuff that you've got there, Indigenous folks, so we're going to pretend that we like you in order to get it, is, is not a message that's going to resonate particularly well. I feel like I could be wrong. <laughs> but based on the 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 reactions of all of the the treaty signatories to the 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 sovereignty Act, and from there the the national body saying, Hey, no no, uh I, I don't know that Smith's approach is necessarily getting the traction that she uh wants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean I, I think you know if if somebody was serious about really reconstituting Alberta in in some way, shape or form, I I think there would have to be an acknowledgement in the first instance of the the treaties that are are fundamental and a partnership. Um, The only way this happens without being further oppression is for you know, the the Indigenous people and settlers to walk together in in some direction. And none of that happens without an acknowledgement of of truth first. And I don't think, you know, I think lots of us have been trying in in a variety of ways to come to terms with with Canada's history uh, around... uh, not treatment of indigenous people, but the marginalization of indigenous people, the the history of the residential schools, it's hard work. And, you know, I think some of us have taken a few steps. We have a long way to go. I, I don't see any evidence that, that Danielle Smith has tried to do that work.
0: Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me because one of the things that I I only just recently learned was that the province of Alberta had a significant hand in some of those, those residential schools Um and so it's not like, you ah, it's just the feds. No, nah, we were, well, the government of Alberta was in there too. The, the, the victimhood thing is interesting because I think we saw that, and I'd love to get your take on this. I think we saw that highlighted particularly well this last weekend uh, on your province, your premier, where, but the straws, think of the straws, people. Think of the root beer floats. I mean, that, when, when somebody's looking at, I don't, want to have to use more than one straw as a symbol of federal oppression like wow (laughs) that's all i've got is just like wow
1: (laughs) so i i think one of the problems that that smith faces uh, with the sovereignty act is that it's dealing with a whole bunch of big abstract ideas that are actually hard to communicate and and so you know if we're going to give her credit i would give her credit that she was trying to you know bring it home to people who don't follow politics all that closely that aren't you know deeply engaged in questions about you know pipeline development or or uh you know GHG emissions reductions um she was trying to make it concrete you know and so yeah we we all hate that feeling of a paper straw kind of sticking to your lips I mean I hate paper straws don't get me wrong but uh I, I'm not willing to leave Canada over it um so so it was you know it was her attempt to to be a populist right she she got this far playing the populist card she was trying to continue it she's desperately trying to communicate herself as um one of the girls um it, you know in a, a a sort of a social sense um you know she she does very poorly with women in in the polls and i think she's trying to you know communicate that she is just like them right and she understands you know how much uh, a mom hates a messy paper straw coming apart right and and she it let her remind people that she's a business owner and you know small business, all those kinds of things. It was an attempt to make herself relatable. Unfortunately, it was a terrible answer to the constitutional question that she has put on the agenda, so you know there we are with the straws
0: on the sovereignty act i mean you had some you you had a flowchart for that one uh and i was i was reviewing i got an it. f i
1: gave myself an f
0: <laughs> you know you were pretty close if if you'd had the amendments part on the upper right hand corner i think you would have crushed it but overall how would you let's say one of your students said dr young I have a paper I'd like to write. This is this is the idea, and they present with you both the original version of the the Sovereignty Act with its somewhat dictatorial bent, and the the finalized version. What grades are you giving each version of the Sovereignty Act?
1: <laughs> well, it really depends on the rubric for the assignment. Um, <laughs> so
0: it, it should be good. <laughs>
1: Uh, but I mean, but I guess the question is, what's the purpose of the Sovereignty Act? So if it's if we're grading it as, you know, an attempt to get Ottawa to take Alberta seriously or or to accede to Alberta's demands around uh, resource development, then I think both versions of it get an F because they're not going to achieve that objective right I mean the federal government isn't suddenly going to change its climate policy because Alberta is going to you know stamp its feet and not enforce the criminal code or something right I mean it's it it doesn't hurt Ottawa right yeah so so you know if if that's the rubric then it gets an F if the rubric is does it save Danielle Smith's leadership of the UCP Well, then it gets a B-plus, right? Um, Because she came into the leadership, you know, having promised two things. She had to back down from one of them, protecting the unvaccinated, because it was too absurd even for... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the ucp caucus um and so this was all she had left this is why people got her into office and she had said it was going to be her bill one it was a concrete prof uh, promise and so if she didn't introduce something she was in in you know a, a terrible state so she's done this she's managed to say to those supporters, yes, I've given you this. They want to believe that it's meaningful. And they've, you know, they've certainly taken to social media to say how fantastic it is that finally we're showing Ottawa that we've had it. So, you know, so she gets that points for that. I'll bet that she's fundraising off of it right now. And she's got to start raising some money for the party. You know, they've got an election coming. So, you know, not half bad. And it let her show herself to be reasonable and i'm you know for those who people who are listening to this and not watching i just did air quotes um around reasonable um because in in that you know she backed away from the the piece that was you know pushing too far it let the caucus feel that they were being listened to and that's been an issue in that caucus so you know as a political compromise not so bad
0: that's, 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 that's a higher grade than I would have given, but I'm not a poli-sci prof, so. Because <laughs> to me, I mean, it, it kind of seems like to me what she did was she promised her base, uh, you know what, I'm gonna get you all a car. You're gonna get the best car, it's gonna, it's gonna have wheels and all of the things, and then on the day of the car delivery, they showed up at the, 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 the well, it would be a Ford dealership. Uh, and uh, she, she handed them a, a small little dinky toy and said, see, I did it. I mean, technically, I suppose that you did. And there will be some people that say, oh, she did the best that she could under the circumstances. But it's still not what you really promised people thank god but um
1: she's still leader of the party right yeah she, she she has now crossed the liz trust line right she's managed to stay in office longer than liz trusted um none of us are going out to spend 10 bucks on a head of lettuce to see, you know, who's going to last longer. So this was, if she was going to lose the leadership of the party, if it was all going to fall apart, it was over the sovereignty act. Right. And she is still leader of the party. There's no, you know, rumbling that we're hearing that she's going to be kicked out. So, you know, that's my measure.
0: Okay. Two more questions for you. If I, if you have the time, if that's okay. Um, First one, Daniel Smith has done an incredible job of sucking all of the oxygen out of out of the room through one of her plastic straws and um and one of the one of the things that seems to be going on is with her sucking all of the oxygen out of the room with her inflammatory comments, her her, I'm going to say ignorant comments towards Indigenous and First Nations peoples. Uh, there's that that has been the center of a, a lot of discussion. Unless, of course, you've just recently moved back to Toronto from Edmonton, that got a lot of conversation too. But what does Rachel Notley have to do between now and May to? get some of that oxygen back do you think
1: yeah i think this is a really interesting question and i'm not sure i've got a great answer to it i guess one thing i would say is you know for for her christmas time reading she should maybe go and read the the post of the 2016 presidential election um because i think in some ways she is hillary clinton to to Daniel Smith's Donald Trump, right? How do you debate somebody who says things that are simply factually inaccurate with enormous self-confidence, right? Um, And and, and I think that's gonna be critically important. I think the debate is gonna matter. Um, I I think that Notley has to keep acting like she's the premier in waiting um, and, you know, letting Smith sort of go off and, and do what she would do. But Smith is through the worst stage of her premiership in in some ways, right? She can spend the next three months handing out goodies. And, you know, the the trick for Notley is going to be to keep reminding people without making it seem like she's just criticizing smith all the time right she's got to have better ideas but i guess if there's one piece of advice i would say read the twitter thread from last night that david coletto from abacus data um uh put out and so that was on what tuesday night um
0: Yeah, December 13th. Yeah,
1: December 13th. And I think Abacus is going to have something out on it. But basically what it shows is that if the provincial election is about health care, Notley will win. And if the provincial election is about the economy or about Canada's, you know, Alberta's resentment of Canada, it's not a sure thing for Notley at all. And so how do we, you know... How does Notley focus our attention on health care over the next number of months and make that the ballot question as opposed to a question about, you know, who do you think is going to stand up to Ottawa?
0: Yeah. And it seems like we've already seen the in, in many ways, the UCP election strategy telegraphed because a certain UCP ex-UCP leadership candidate released a impressively polished video where the, I mean, it really was. uh, I'd love to know how much that video cost because that was an incredibly well put together piece of political advertising propaganda do what you want um but it made it it seems to make it very very clear that the the ucp very much want the election question to be you're either voting for danielle smith or you're voting for justin trudeau and i think it's going to be fascinating to see how uh notley and the ndp attempt to to counter that
1: yeah no, absolutely. And, you know, um, I think the one thing that, you know, certainly is in Notley's favour is that there is pretty strong dislike of Danielle Smith and distrust of Danielle Smith. And so, you know, Smith is going to be doing everything in her power for the next three or four months to put forward a different image and and so you know notley has to walk this really fine line of on the one hand reminding people uh, about things that danielle smith has said without making it all about danielle smith i mean i think the ndp made a mistake in 2019 making it all about jason kenny and who he was um I, i'm not sure they could have won anyways right the sort of the the wave was not headed in their direction. But I do think, you know, that was was an issue. Um, And and so, you know, it's it's tricky times. And I wouldn't want to make a prediction about uh, who's going to win this election. You know, it's it is not a sure thing for either side.
0: Well, when you're not willing to throw together a flowchart for the twenty twenty-three election, I think that that's telling. But I do want to ask, what are you what are you watching for? What's the next What's the next flowchart?
1: I never know when the when there's going to have to be a flowchart. I just you know, I wait until events occur or uh, somebody starts demanding it on Twitter. <laughs>
0: what are what is what's the next big political thing that you're looking for in alberta what's the next uh, landmine that you're looking to to see notley not drive over or danielle smith not drive over what's the next speed bump i mean we're heading into the silly season and it's getting more silly
1: yeah i mean i think we're going to see a period of quiet um I, I think everyone and most certainly danielle smith must be exhausted right the, the this has been a lot and so uh you know having uh, some time to step back regroup come up with with strategy i think is going to be essential for them um i think that may be a time for notley to you know try and get a message out while the the ucp is figuring out what comes next i think that the spring sitting of the legislature is going to be wild and um it's going to be fascinating to see if smith goes ahead with this idea of you know going and finding instances of federal overreach to use her sovereignty act on or if she comes to her senses and just pretends it didn't happen and you know spends her time spending money um in in calgary which is presumably her best bet for winning the election
0: okay interesting yeah it's gonna be fascinating to see what uh what issues, if any, she seems to have made it clear to to her caucus that she wants a laundry list of uh, very bad things that Ottawa has done, maybe or maybe not, um, that she can use uh some people are speculating that she wants that laundry list to supplement the narrative of this next election's about are you voting for Alberta? That's Danielle Smith. Or are you voting for uh, Justin Trudeau who only wants to take things from you or eat your babies? I don't know. Um, yeah, so.
1: I mean, I, I think she'll probably give into that temptation. And on the one hand, it sets a trap for for the NDP, because if they vote, you know, against these being instances of overreach, well, then they're in bed with Trudeau. So there's that. On the other hand, you know, if, if we think about using the Sovereignty Act, it mostly doesn't work. Right. And so you're going to have all of these votes in the legislature. And then what, you know, and, and it, you know, any parent of a toddler knows that uh, if, if you uh, threaten a consequence, then you need to follow through on it. And, you know, she's going to find herself in that situation of, you know, OK, so what's what's the follow through? Right. How, how are you getting me my plastic straws?
0: Well, it's going to be interesting because it seems like there's no shortage of. Uh litigators and lawyers on the the twitter machine who are salivating at the prospect of of this thing being implemented so they can take it for a walk in the courts um because there are still some very present lingering constitutional questions it seems like is there anything else you want people to hear anything else you want people to note people to be watching for
1: no, I'll just, you know, I'll use this chance, you know, uh, if they want to, uh, take a look at my Substack. it's lisayoung.substack.com.
0: <laughs> and you should subscribe to it if you're listening to the podcast, because not only is it incredibly intelligent and insightful, it's also wickedly funny at times. Uh, and I, I personally get excited every time I get an email that says there's a new, new Substack thing. And then I, chase down your Twitter account so we can make sure that we're boosting it properly. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's an amazing thing you're doing. Dr. Young, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us today and, and sharing all of your perspectives. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, and I hope it'll be okay if, if we, we bother you again in the future.
1: Happy to. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it.
0: As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here at The Breakdown, we would love it if you swung by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash TheBreakdownAB and signed up for a small monthly sponsorship of the work that we're trying to do here. It is because of the support that we receive from our Patreon sponsors that we're able to continually up our game and it is tremendously appreciated. So I wanna throw a big thank you out to them And you can go ahead and visit that website and join and support us as well because we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of these important conversations. And we will see you next time on The Breakdown.